Okay, welcome to Wednesday night Bible study. Let's begin in a word of prayer. Lord God, we just thank you for this evening, bringing us together. Lord, we thank you that uh, you watched over us, take care of us. And Lord, as we begin this new uh, study into the book of Ezekiel, Lord, I ask that you would uh, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our heart to receive. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that uh, you are the teacher. You guide us into uh, scriptures and for discussion, Lord, and question, and, and however uh, you desire this uh, class to go tonight, Lord. So we just give you praise and honor and glory. We thank you for those that are here, those that are on their way, those that couldn't make it, those that are hearing by podcast. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, Ezekiel, you probably are not going to hear a whole lot of sermons out of Ezekiel. And because uh, Ezekiel is a little bit different than some of the other books, and I just kind of put this up as a refresher. You know, the Bible as a whole is broken down into these categories the law, which is the first five books of the Bible, in other words, the law of Moses. This is where all the commandments are at. Then you have the prophets, of which Ezekiel is one of any prophets, you know, like uh, Jeremiah and Isaiah. And Jonah and all those, those are prophets. Prophets basically say, prophets, again, prophets don't make up stuff. Prophets don't say anything that's not God hadn't already said. Prophets say, they come and they say, this is what God has said. And this is what you're doing. And if you don't line up with what God says, well, then the judgment is going to come upon you. And so the prophets will, you know, minister for a long time, several hundred years, before God actually acts on, on something. And so that's the prophets. And then there's the writings. The writings are like Psalms and Proverbs and, 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 and those kind of things. And then the New Testament, you have the Gospels, and then you have the letters written to the church. That's the way it's basically broken up uh, like that. So we're going to be Ezekiel is of the prophets, but... He deals in visions, and uh, so sometimes when you're, biblically, when you're reading something that has a vision in it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless you understand uh, the, the manners and the customs and where it was written. So, for example, whenever we're studying the Bible, we have to take a few things into consideration. One is, who was the first audience? Because... God was writing to that audience first. So therefore, things are going to be said to them in, in, in language that they would understand. So in other words, he's not going to talk about cell phones. He's not going to talk about cars. He's not going to talk about, you know, the Wild West because none of that was around. He's going to talk to them uh, basically in terms of what they would know from that day and age in that, in that particular time frame. So that's why manners and customs are, is, is, is important, that you understand the manners and the customs so that you know when a reference is being made to something, we look at it and we go, what the heck are they talking about? But if you know the manners of the time and the customs of the time, you say, oh, okay, they're, they're referencing this. They're talking about such and such. Because remember, it has to resonate for the first audience and the, and the people that come after that and then eventually, you know, 2,000, 3,000 years later, we, we receive it. So we have to go back in time to understand it. They got it in real time. 
Right. So we have to understand it uh, that way. Ezekiel's break, broken up into about five parts. And what we're going to deal with tonight is his commission. In other words, why he is, who he is, what he does. So we're going to be talking about how God called him and his initial vision. Then, in the succeeding weeks, we're not going to go line by line through this because there's a lot of things here, but I'm going to kind of uh, do a survey overview of some of it because basically what he does after this vision, then he goes into the second part, which is judgment on Judah. Because what's going on at the time of Ezekiel is that they are in captivity. They are in what's known as the Babylonian captivity. And we talked about that, that at the end of First uh, Kings and Second Kings, and also First and Second Samuel, it tells a similar story. That's when the people are taken off the land because they haven't followed God. And God allows the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar is the king, to come and take them off the land. It's known as the Babylonian captivity. And Jeremiah was the prophet who was the last prophet and said, God is coming, and if you don't uh, follow, you're going to be taken off the land. If you don't return to God, uh, this is what's going to happen to you. So there, it's what's known as a Babylonian captivity or a 70-year exile. They're off the land for 70 years, but eventually they come back. So Ezekiel is ministering right at that time. So that's a historical time frame. He was actually born in, uh, in Judah, which is the southern part of Israel, and he was taken in captivity to uh, uh, Babylon. So where he's writing from is Babylon. He's writing to people that are in captivity. And this is important because he's basically saying, this is why we're dealing with what we're dealing with. This is why we're here, because of this. But it's not just doom and gloom. For example, Jeremiah, I think I said it Sunday, you know, Jeremiah was known as a weeping prophet because he just didn't have anything positive to say because he was speaking to the generation that was going to be taken off the land, right? But Ezekiel is now like Daniel. Uh, he outlines why they're there, but he also says, but this is what God's going to do. He's going to restore you. So in a nutshell, that is Ezekiel. Ezekiel is saying, you are in, we are in captivity because we rebelled against God, because we didn't do what God said. And by the way, God spent about 330-some years sending prophets to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom telling them, get back with God before he takes them off the land. So, you know, when you say God's long-suffering, he's long So He doesn't just... You know, sometimes people read something and they think, wow, that was terrible what God did. But you don't realize God had been telling them for multiple generations to get your, your, your act together. You know, and they would get it together for a little while and then they would mess up and stuff like that. So he's basically saying to people in captivity, we're here because of this, and but God is going to restore us. That's Ezekiel. Right there. If you don't know anything else about Ezekiel, that's the story of Ezekiel. But he tells it in visions. He gets these visions. And, and this is what we're going to deal with tonight, is the first vision that he gets. And so if you read the first part, like you did last week, scratching your head, uh, I don't know. Right? Well, we're, we're going to break it down tonight. So any thoughts, questions? 
before we go into the first part of Ezekiel. So this is the commission of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, by the way, in Hebrew, his name means God strengthens. Ezekiel means God strengthens. So if you want to name your dog or your cat or your squirrel Ezekiel, that's what you're going to name him, Ezekiel. It means God strengthens. Or if you have a lizard in your backyard like Adrian, uh, you're going to name him Ezekiel. <laughs> so, so the time frame is between the year 592 and 570 B.C. So in other words, you're going down, right? to the year zero, roughly around time when Christ is born. So 592 to 570 B.C. That's the time frame of when Ezekiel is ministering. A little background on him. Ezekiel is a priest and a prophet. His father was a priest. In other words, he ministered in the temple. Right? So he comes from a priestly lineage. So a lot of things that he says, he says it as someone who's, who's, who's very familiar with temple structure, with, with uh, you know, the sacrifices in the temple and all that stuff, because he was a priest. So he says things in those, those terms. So Ezekiel's a priest, he's a prophet, and he ministers, as I said earlier, during the time of the Babylonian captivity. He's a contemporary. He lived around the same time as Jeremiah and Daniel. He kind of bridges Jeremiah and Daniel. And by the way, as I said before, your Bible is now put together in chronological order. So that's why if you try and read it and from, from Genesis to, to Revelation, you get lost in the story because it's not chronological. I can show you how to do that, you know, ask me later. And uh, I'll show you how to read it chronologically. Uh, and so what's going on is Nebuchadnezzar who was the uh, king of Babylon. He came in three different stages and destroys Jerusalem and the temple and all that stuff in three different stages. He's taking people captivity, in captivity, taking them back to uh, Babylon. And in the second wave uh, is when he takes Ezekiel. Okay. Uh, his ministry, as I said, he prophesies from Babylon to those that have been exiled. So he uses... Uh, what we're going to be looking at, the way he prophesies, he uses uh, uh, prophecies, parables, signs, and symbols to dramatize God's message. So in other words, it's kind of like when you're, when you're trying to teach somebody something and you're saying, it's kind of like this, or you use an illustration. You know, you, sometimes you go out of the box and use a bigger mm-hmm. illustration. It's kind of like this. It's like this. So he does that. He'll do it with signs, he'll do it with parables, stories, and then he does it with these visions. And now, let me say this. When you're talking about God, it's you're going to get revelation of God in a vision. Because we haven't been there, right? So that's why the vision. You know, he tells us what it's like, but when when someone gets a vision of God, the throne room of God, it's like in Revelation. Again, remember, they're limited by what they know at the time. So when they're trying to explain uh, the throne room of God or what God is like, they're limited by what they know in their language, how they're describing it. They can't say it's like this because that wasn't made yet, right? So they're, they're limited. So they're explaining a vision in language that, that they are accustomed to. So we have to understand 
their custom. So again, as I said, his message to people because of their disobedience have been taken off the land that God gave them. Remember, he he promised them from the time of uh, uh, Genesis chapter 12, he was going to give them a land, make them a people, and all they had to do was follow him. And, and, and uh, uh, you know, he would be their God. But if they didn't follow, then he would take them off the land, and this is what happens. And so, basically, there's a part... In Ezekiel, there's two parts of Ezekiel that people kind of look at. The first part is what we're going to talk about tonight. And then the other part is the dry bones. Talks about dry bones later on. Well, basically what he's saying is to the people that are in exile, we are like dry bones to God now. But God is going to raise those dry bones back up and take them back to the land. So he's using imagery to explain all of this stuff. Uh, so, okay, here we go. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came about in the 30th year, on the fifth day of the fourth month, while I was by the river Shabar among the exiles, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. So right there, you know, he's, he's, it's basically, you can write this down, I researched it, it's July 31st, the year 593 B.C. 30th year uh, refers to 30th year since King Josiah. You don't have to write this down, but basically it's the 30th year since King Josiah rediscovered the law in the temple and in, in now told the people to begin to follow the law. So 30 years later, after what happens in Second Kings, where King Josiah finds the scriptures and he does public uh, reading of them, he, he gets this vision. So he's real clear. He says uh, he's by the river and he's in exile, right? And he saw visions of God. So right there, we don't have to wonder who is the vision of, because he tells us right off, it's a God. Mystery solved. So if we, if, we, if we don't realize that, then we start reading this vision. We say, what the heck is he talking about? Well, just remember verse 1, it's God. He's talking about God. Verse 2 to 4. On the fifth day of the month, in the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's exile, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel. In other words, he's saying, on the fifth month in the fifth year, in other words, five years since the, the king had been taken into exile from Judah. That's King Jehoiachin. Okay. The word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest. Again, he identifies who he is. The son of Buzi. Buzi is 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 a, a, a priest. He's he's uh, um, identified in other parts of Scripture. In the land of the Chaldeans, by the river Chabar, the land of the Chaldeans is Babylon. Okay, and there the hand of the Lord came upon him. And as I looked, by the way, notice it says the hand of the Lord came upon him. So whenever you read in Scripture about the hand of the Lord, this means you're being touched by God, right? The hand of the Lord came upon him. He's being touched. It's it's a metaphor. The hand of the Lord is, you know, you're, you're, sometimes you look at it when you get this vision, this picture of this big hand coming out of the sky. No, he's just referencing God is, is talking to me. The hand of the Lord. Verse 4. As I looked, behold, a storm wind was coming from the north. 
a great cloud with fire flashing forth continually and a bright light around it, and in its midst something like glowing metal in the midst of the fire. Okay, game on. Right? Now we're getting into the vision. And right right here we start checking out. Because what are we talking about? Behold, a great... Behold, a storm wind was coming from the north, a great cloud with fire flashing forth continually and a bright light around it, and in its midst something like glowing metal in the midst of the fire. Remember, now this is a vision of God. He's explaining it in his language and what he sees, right? So, he's saying there's a coming storm. Something's coming. Now, now think about what, what do we do when we know a storm is coming? We look, we know the direction is coming, and we say, oh, dark clouds are coming, the storm is coming, and we look at it and say, oh, this looks bad, or, or whatever it is. Same thing, he's saying something is coming. Now, what does a storm do? It overtakes you, right? Where you're at, the storm comes, and the storm overtakes you. So understand the, the, the analogy, that the storm is going to come, and it's going to over. Take them. What does God do? God overtakes us. Right? We don't, we don't, you know, God's going to do what God is going to do. I can, I can stand there and say, no, wait, wait a minute, God, no. Time out, God, no. The cloud's still going to come because God's going to do what he's going to do, right? Okay. Question. Is yes. Any significance that it's coming out of the north? Out of the north, just the fact that, uh, that, that's where the heavy winds would blow in that land, and the, and the storms all came out of the north. Okay. It's like us, for the, for the most part, our heavy storms come from the Gulf of Alaska. They kind of come from the north, you know, yeah. that, that way. But in the land of Israel, all the heavy storms come definitely from the north, and they'll come out of Siberia. And those storms can be very cold and very violent. They're coming straight down, you know, like an Arctic blast. So something is approaching them from another place. The cloud overtakes you. Now he talks about fire. What does fire do? It burns. Huh? It burns. And burns, what does it burn? Mm-hmm. Biblically speaking, when it talks about fire in the Bible? Oh, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. What else? It purifies. It, it purifies? Yes. And is God identified with fire? Yes. How? Burning bush. Burning bush. See? Vision of God. So right there, the fire represents God. Okay? Uh, glowing metal uh, can be associated with deity or a ruler's face. I was going to put a picture up on it and I forgot to do it. But, you know, back in the day, whenever they would depict rulers, or even going back to, uh, say, King Tut. You know, his, his, his burial mask was in that, you know, I, I don't know how they did it way back then, but they got that so smooth, so, you know, pure gold. You know, it just radiates. And so this is what he's saying. You know, his face is like, it's, it's like radiating this from this, this precious mineral, this precious source that he knows on earth. And so the storm is like a great upheaval. Ezekiel sees a fire like Moses saw in the burning bush. Okay. Questions on that so far? So yes. the storm is the problems that the Israelites 
in exile we will have? Good question. Are storms always bad? No. Not always. Not always. But can they be? Yes. Yeah. But so what do we have to do when a storm is approaching? We have to respect. We have to be ready. We have to be prepared because you don't know what the storm is going to bring. So think about Ezekiel or think if you're Ezekiel and you're getting this vision. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm hanging on right about now. Because like, what's God going to do? Because I, I, I know it's God. Ezekiel says it's God. God is coming. They're off the land. They're in rebellion. So he said, is this going to be more judgment? Is this going to be more punishment? What are, what, what's, what's wrong? But at the same time, you're in respect and awe because it is God. So something's approaching, something's coming. And so realize it in that terms that God is like that. God is coming. Something's going to happen. It's like, you know, we don't know the hour of the day, his return. We don't know what it's going to be, that kind of thing. So with God, because God is God, we don't always know exactly how he's going to show up or what he's going to do, right? Because if we did, then he wouldn't be God. If we could figure out his moves, he wouldn't be God, right? We can figure out from what he said what he's going to do. But when he shows up in a vision or when he's going to do something, what it actually looks like, that's, that's a whole different, different ball of wax. So, Any other thoughts, questions before we get into the depiction? Now, we're, it's going to get a little deeper here. But it's, 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 not, it's not hard, hopefully. <laughs> Verse 5 to 9, and then we'll discuss it. And within it, in other words, within this cloud that he's talking about with the fire flashing and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the metal, there were figures resembling four living beings. Now it says resembling four, he's trying to describe something he's never seen before. And, there, and this was their appearance. They had human form. Hmm. Each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like a calf's hoof, and they gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, were human hands. As for the faces and wings of the four of them, their wings touched one another. Their faces did not turn when they moved. Each went straight forward. Ooh. Yeah. You know, this is not something we're used to seeing every day. <laughs> right? But there's something being depicted here. That uh, four living beings, they looked human, but they're a composite of figures that are coming out of the storm. Now, God's revealing himself in the vision. So, what do we find out? There's four wings. We find out there's straight legs with a calf's hoof with human hands. I don't know about you, when I read this, I'm trying to, oh man, this just doesn't sound good. You know, and then it says four faces, one human, one lion, a bull, and an eagle. Well, in Babylon, where they're at, these animals are represented as deity or animals that God would write on. 
So remember, where is he at? He's in Babylon. So these animals are depicted in Babylonian custom. Okay? So again, you have to interpret it from their time frame. So what they're used to looking at. Uh, in scripture, the Lord mounts on a cherub and soars on their wings. You can write this down. Um, Psalm 18 verse 10 and Psalm 104 verse 3. Psalm 18:10 and Psalm 104:3. Now just to give you an idea here um Handle this. Hmm. That looks like something that they had at that Firestone building along the five. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> at the, the Citadel, uh, the the citadel, citadel. right now. That is an actual depiction of a Syrian fortress. Hmm. That that is an actual depiction of a Syrian <clears throat> fortress. Now this is this is a, a, an old relief thing of of a cherub. Or, or a cherubim. And, you know, look, it's got a head like this, it's got wings, it's got the face of this. So this is kind of an old, from that that time period, what this would look like, you know? And so, but on Scripture, it talks about the God who rides on this, okay? Another thing is that in the temple, on the temple mount, Where's my cursor? Um, in the Temple Mount of Holy of Holies, on the top of it has a depiction of these winged cherubim. And there's different kind of pictures of it, but this just kind of gives you an idea. This is inside the temple. This was the most holy place. This is where the presence of God was at. So on top of it, you have these uh, cherubim on the Ark of the, of, of the Covenant. So it's it's very scriptural, but you see, we're three thousand years later. We look at this and we say, I, I don't I don't get it so much. But back then, they they understood it more. Okay, so when we're talking about cherubim or cherub, this is what it is. They're kind of these winged angelic, special angelic type beings, and it's 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 they're used as a metaphor of how God will appear how God shows up, and there's a little bit more of depiction of it in a second. Uh, and later on, you can write this scripture down. In chapter 10 of Ezekiel, verse 5 and verse 20, he's explaining this vision, and he calls these animals that he's depicting, he calls them cherubim. So he doesn't say it now, but if you keep reading, when you get to chapter 10, he says this is cherubim. So, again, when I said, when I said about scripture, sometimes the scripture, you got to keep reading. <laughs> because he's what he's doing is, he's showing his call, he's showing this vision, and then he's going to spend 35 chapters explaining it. But this is the main nuts and bolts right here. But God, God is, 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 is arriving and how he gets this. 
Uh, think about it. Basically, what we're talking about is four figures, kind of represents the four winds, kind of represents the four directions, that these, this, this thing is, this, this chair beam is, is moving forward, but it's able to move in any direction at any time. Like God, right? God is always moving forward, but God can move in any direction at any time, anyway. See, this is why Ezekiel can be a little bit difficult if we're just used to reading, say, the Gospels. Well, Jesus did this, and then he turned water into wine, and then he did this, and then, you know, you know, he overturned the money changers' table. That, that's narrative. This is, this is, this is Hebrew literature. This is, this is, uh, uh um, it, it has to be appraised differently. It's it's not a narrative story. It's it's visions. It's 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 things that he's that he's showing. Uh, verse ten, and then we'll take some questions. We'll do something here. Verse ten, it says, "As for the form of their faces, each had a face of a man. All four had the face of a lion on the right, face of a bull on the left, and all four had the face of an eagle." Why do you think? They had these different faces. What would be the purpose? Each of the faces represents something. Yes, they do. They represent something. Thank you very much. We'll go home now. <laughs> <laughs> but I've read different representations of what they are. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you know, like uh, the line, uh, uh, different texts say it represents. Uh, well, uh, either like the strongest of the uh, wild beasts or the most majestic of the mm -hmm. wild beasts. And the ox is the strongest of the beasts. The eagles is the fastest of the beasts. Or, you know, it's so it, they can all represent, maybe, um, um, what, what, the essence of God, the... Um, what would I say? What's the word? You said it, the essence of God. <laughs> Hold that thought. What were you going to say? Uh, I was going to say they might have different functions mm -hmm. in the execution of what God wants to do. Mm -hmm. But they all are powerful. Well, yeah. 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 So, going back to that time period, that frame. One has a face of a human. Yes. What would that represent? Well, we're made and in the God. image of God. Okay, we're made in the image of God. But in all the things that created, we are supposed to be what? We're the leaders. We're the dwellers. We're the caretakers of the... And what does that mean? Head honchos. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> head honcho? Yeah. Anything else? Intelligence. Because all things that are created, we have the intelligence. Okay. We have the intellect, okay. right? Yes. So that's the human aspect of that lion. He hit it right on the nose. It's power. Yeah. And then the ox is an uh, ox, or, or the bull, as it's, as it's translated, is a service. That's the beast of burden. That's the thing that you would ride on. That's the thing that, that they would know when you talk about a bull or an ox, that's going to pull the plow. 
John Deere's not going to do it. <laughs> right? It's going to be an oxidable. So right away, they understand beast of burden. That's what, what that is. Eagle, swiftest, biggest of all the birds. Majestic. So yeah, there's, like you said, it's, it's a picture of God, the essence of God. But don't forget, God created all of this. So when God shows up, he brings what with him? Brings all of creation with him. Everything that's been created, he's 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 over that. He's he's you know again, God is not bound by the laws of creation because he stands outside of creation. That's why Jesus walked on water. That's why the virgin birth. We can't do it. It's outside of 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 creation. Burning bush. God shows up in a bush that's not concerned. God stands outside of creation. He's not bound by the laws of creation. So therefore, when he shows up, he shows up contrary to nature. Okay? And so he's created all these things. And so it's like with the essence of God would show up, then God's going to show up with everything that they know to be. Again, in their time frame. We're not going to talk about railroads. We're not going to talk about even roads, per se, because they didn't really have roads back in those days. It was, you know, you follow the camel trail you know, to the next city. Can we say also that it represents uh, wisdom, beauty, and strength? Sure. Yes. Is your question? No. No? Okay. Don't stretch again. <laughs> that, uh, uh, yeah, so when you're looking at this, like, like what Larry was doing, he was saying, okay, well, a lion represents, and you bring out, what does a lion represent? An eagle, what does it represent? You know, and, you know, ox, what does it represent? What does it do? And so then you begin to get a bigger picture of it. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, uh, uh, this is, God is showing up. You know, God's going to show up in, in majesty. He's going to show up in, in force, power, all-consuming. He's going to show up contrary to nature. He's going to show up uh, manifesting something we haven't seen before because he's God, right? So again, he's getting a vision of God. He's, he's, yet, to be, he's yet to be commissioned. Now, now, let's chase this rabbit for a second. Just think in, 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 in terms of your own encounter with God. When you first realized God was real or you had an encounter with God or you know, through scripture or something in life or however it might be, however you encountered God, I guarantee you it was not the way you thought you were going to encounter God. It was different. And it, was, it wasn't like, you know, God will show up to all of us in a different way but he shows up the same way because he is who he is. He's not going to show Juicy something. He's not going to show Adrian. Right? But he'll show it in a different way because of who you are and based on who she is and circumstances. Same thing with Ray in the back or myself and, you know, Larry or Orly, whoever, different, or, or Sophia. Sophia's going to get a depiction of God based on where she's at. Eight years old going on... 29. <laughs> so, any thoughts, questions on that? Okay, that made a lot of sense, what you just said. Well, praise God. That God will reveal himself to us. Mm-hmm. But, because, in the same way, but because of who we are. Yeah. So, is it so that we will understand and not miss that it is 
Yeah, you know, it's like when you have, a, it's called a, a theophany, and this is what Ezekiel is having. He's having a theophany, an encounter with Theo, God. So when we have an encounter with God, it's in the midst of our circumstances, and God's going to show up, and we're going to know that he's in control. But he's going to show up in the midst of what we're going through or what we need to see at that time. You know, and this is, this is, this is what, what when, when people say, well, how do I know there really is a God? When you start putting all these things together, and you start tying all this evidence together, just that, you know, if you listen to people's story, well, how did you come to know God, and how did you, and how did you, and, and then you tie all those together, mm-hmm. there's going to be a common thread in there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the, 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 there's going to be the emotional, spiritual thread that we all connected with God differently, but we all connected with the same God, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's, 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 it's not about religion. It's not about where you hang your hat. It's about how God is revealing himself to you in your situation. So when we read in the Bible, in Genesis, God shows up a particular way as creator and establishing. But later on, you know, he shows up as redeemer. Later on, he shows up as, as, as king and in, in, in our high priest. Uh, he also shows up as wisdom. That's what the writings are. It's the wisdom of God. Song of Solomon and stuff, stuff like that. Proverbs. Wisdom. He shows up as wisdom. And then later on he shows up as obviously Messiah. Right? Our, our Savior. And then letters to the church. This is kind of like the personal aspect of all of this to us as the church. How we now take all these things of God and how we now go out as a church right make sense thoughts questions you good so far remember there's no bad questions no bad questions um, verse 11 to 14 such were their faces their wings were spread out above each had two touching another being and two covering their bodies by the way a lot of depictions, I was looking for one, but I didn't find one. A lot of times you'll find depictions of the Ark of the Covenant where they're bent over and their wings are touching like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ark and Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's it, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. By the way, thank you for saying that. The Ark of the Covenant, and when you, read, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you see the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, they're talking about this, but from this time frame they don't know where the ark is at. Some say they know, but it's no, it's, it wasn't in the temple. So when they go back to, to in the, in the, in during, uh, uh, during Ezra and Nehemiah's time, and they, and they rebuild after the 70-year exile, and they rebuild Jerusalem and, and, and all the temple stuff, the ark isn't there. So at this point, the ark has been taken, and the ark was taken, obviously, for safekeeping because it was being raided by Nebuchadnezzar and three different things. So they, they took it. You know, and some people say, well, it's in Ethiopia. Some people say it's under the Temple Mount. And we kind of talked about that before. And so uh, just a point of context, it's right here where the, the, the ark isn't mentioned anymore. You know, and so. Um, why do you think that is, by the way? 
Why do you think they don't have the ark right now? Well, the glory of God left the temple back then. I, maybe that has something to do with it. But then they would... The Shekinah glory. Yeah. Well, yeah, the Shekinah glory is a... Is a is it can a, be an object of worship. Object of worship. Yeah, like Moses. Where's Moses' tomb? It would be an object of worship that shouldn't be. Didn't Jesus change all that? Because then the Holy Spirit comes down and he now dwells in us. Yeah, because this... This wasn't a representation. This held the presence of God. So when Jesus comes, Jesus is who? God. Yeah. He's God. So you don't need an ark. You know? So, but at one point, because according to Revelation, this will come back. And that's where the Antichrist is going to declare himself God. And that's when, as they say, all hell breaks loose. But that's another story. <laughs> Verse 11 Verse 11 again, such were their faces, their wings were spread out above, each had two touching uh, another being, and two covering their bodies. Each went straight forward, wherever the spirit was about to go. Now this is you, see, the spirit. Now, you would say, okay, well it can't be the Holy Spirit, because it's not a capital S. This is a vision that Ezekiel is getting. He doesn't know exactly what it is. And at this point, we haven't really, they haven't really been given full revelation of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't come until the Gospels. That doesn't come until Acts. The Holy Spirit is dropped upon, you know. Holy Spirit back in those days was just on Moses for a time to do something. It was on David. It wasn't poured out on, on, on all of humanity, Right? So he doesn't have that type of revelation, but he's understanding each one straightforward wherever the Spirit was about to go. In other words, the Spirit and God and these beings all move together. So in our understanding of a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all moving at the same time, you don't have God over here and the Spirit over here and, and Jesus over here eating a biscuit. You don't have that. They're all together. They all do the same. That's why I say, when you find out something about God the Father, write it down. When you find out something about the person of the Holy Spirit, write it down. When you find something out about Jesus, meaning deity, God, write it down. And eventually you're going to see it's all the same. You can't, you can't break them. Verse 13, verse 12. And each one straightforward, whether the Spirit, wherever the Spirit was about to go, they would go without turning as they went. In other words, it was in such unison, there was no thought of, 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 uh, uh, um, of breaking away, of moving. It was just in perfect flow, perfect unity. This is the way creation is supposed to be. You know, this is the way the church and God is supposed to be. You know, God is leading, we are supposed to follow in unity and, you know, following the direction of God. Verse 13, In the midst of the living beings there was something that looked like burning coals of fire, like torches darting back and forth among the living beings. The fire was bright. Lightning was flashing from the fire. And the living beings ran to and fro like bolts of lightning. What would you say that represents? Or what comes to mind? Anything come to mind? The movement. Huh? The movement. The, the movement, but the, the flashing of the fire. And the darting back and forth. Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit yeah. fell like tongues of fire. 
right? Because what is he getting? He's getting a vision of God. Who is God? The Holy Spirit. So he's seeing this in the midst of it, right? Uh, they follow the Spirit. This is unity under God, which, by the way, is a biblical theme. Unity under God. Yahweh Sabah, the Lord of hosts, means there's a supreme commander-in-chief, which is God, and there is an army, which is us, looking to God for direction. So we don't make up our own, we follow. It's like in the military. You don't go off on your own little thing, you follow that. Thoughts, questions? Okay. Verse 15 to 21. Now as they looked at the living beings, behold, there was one wheel on the earth beside the living beings for each of the four of them. The appearance of the wheels was like the workmanship of sparkling burl, and all four of them had the same form, their appearance and workmanship being as if one wheel was within another. Whenever they moved, they moved in any of their four directions without turning as they moved. As for their rims, they were lofty and awesome, and the rims of all four of them were full of eyes all around. And whenever the living beings moved, the wheels moved with them. And whenever the living beings rose from the earth, the wheels rose also. Wherever the Spirit was about to go, they would go in that direction. And the wheels rose close behind them, and the Spirit of the living beings was in the wheels." Whenever they went, they went, and whenever they stood still, they stood still, and whenever they rose from the earth, the wheels rose and closed beside them, for the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. That passage gave me a headache. (laughs) I was trying to visualize how everything was arranged. It said the, the... the creatures, the tips of, I think it was the tips of their wings touched each other. Does that mean they were standing at the corners with their arms like that? Or were they in the middle of a side of a square reaching it out talks like in, that? In the second, it's going to talk about they were like at the four corners of the earth. So oh. it's almost like one was in the north, one was the east, one was in the west, but they were all. Okay. But at the same time, they were doing, yeah. moving and, at the same Because again, he's getting a vision of something he doesn't understand, and he's trying to explain it to us. And I'm trying to think, how are these wheels moving? And I associate wheels with axles. They're all connected, but how can that happen? This chariot has, I don't know, eight-wheel drive. But By the way, you probably have a good, a good point. One of the things in, in this is we are talking about a chariot. Yeah. And eventually it's going to be revealed that it is a chariot. So, go ahead. Yeah, like I said, axles, okay, well, maybe it's not axles. Maybe maybe these, this chariot, uh, the wheels are supporting this expanse in something mm-hmm. that has more like sockets rather than axles, and the, and the wheels touch inside the sockets, and they can go in. So I was all messed up. <laughs> that's that's the way I was looking. I was looking at it like a a gyroscope at one point. Yeah. Looking at it, you know, got all these things going in, and it's, it's spinning around, and it's and it's like this. And then, does God need an axle to move? No, no. 
<laughs> That's why I was thinking the sock. <laughs> he, does, he, does, he doesn't need that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but the point is, uh, everything is in unison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything is moving together. Nothing is out of place. It's the depiction of, 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 of the created beings, of which humans are the top of the food chain, right? The power, the majesty, the service, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the element of the, of the wing, the flying, able to do any movement possible, but able to do it outside of how we normally function, which is God, Right? Because again, he's getting a vision. He's getting a vision of something that's going to now cause him to go and speak to people, thus saith the Lord. Think about it for a second. If God was calling you to go do something that you've never done before, and it was going to be like to speak to a nation, to speak to whoever, it's going to have to be pretty convincing, right? I mean, we're not just going to Oh, hey, Adrian, today I was reading in, in such and such. You know, I'm, I'm going to go to the White House. I'm going to go prophesy to the president. You know, I wouldn't get past, you know. No. But to do that, it would have to be some sort of move of God outside of nature creative work that would convince me to the point that no matter what happens, God's going to show up and what I do is going to represent him and therefore the doors are going to open it's not any different than the story of um, Isaac when when Abraham was going to sacrifice him mm-hmm. and then you think you read the story and you say wait a minute this guy is going to put his kid on an altar he's got his kid on an altar he's got a knife and he's going to bring it down and slay his kid how could any father do that? There was something very convincing had to go on inside of Abraham to get him to do that. And as we t- pointed out before, 24 chapters of Genesis where God is working with Abram and changes his name to Abraham, getting him to the point to where he will believe God no matter what. God tells him, through you shall all the nations of the earth flourish you be a blessing. Yeah, yeah. He knew that God was going to do something because the blessing flowed through Isaac. God was not going to kill Isaac. He couldn't. Because he believed that everything was going to flow through Isaac. So that's how he could... So, you know, it's, it's that kind of revelation. So you find out that when God shows up to these, these people, it's, it's, a, it's a theophany. It's an encounter with God that's outside of the normal realm. To get them to do something outside of their normal, you know, he was trained to be a priest. He was he was trained to work in the confines of the uh, temple area, do sacrifices and make prayers and stuff like that. He wasn't called. He wasn't trained to go speak to the people, the nations, and thus saith the Lord. You know, if you're going to stand up and say thus saith the Lord, man, you better be on pretty firm ground. Right, very very firm. I have a question. Yeah. So he's speaking. He's going to be speaking to the Israel life and on exile. But is he going to be telling them 
Hmm? About these wishes, because yeah. how would they? He, 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 men understand this. He's gonna, he's gonna be giving them. See, what this is is just his commission. This is how God's getting his attention. Okay. Then God's gonna tell him what to say. Okay. This is getting his attention. So chapter chapter one and maybe two, but chapter four is basically him and. God getting on the same page. Him getting on the same page with God. God's commissioning him. I'm showing you this. And then the other 30, 40 chapters is what he now delivers. Okay? Is what he's delivering. This is just the commission. This is just that. Uh, something. Let me look at it real quick. Um, just real fast, you can, you can write this down. Second Kings, chapter two, verse eleven. Chapter six, verse seventeen. Second Kings two eleven, and then chapter six, verse seventeen. I'm going to read you 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. This is the story of Elijah, when Elijah is taken up. Then it came about, as they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire, and horses of fire, which appeared, the two of them, and Elijah went up in a whirlwind to heaven. Yeah. God takes him. Yeah. So to Larry's point, chariot. He says, this is a chariot. Well, there was nothing in there that said it was a chariot. But yet, when you look at it, and you realize that okay, this is a, this is a chariot. This is the vehicle. This is the mode which God is using. Okay, so it's also referenced in chapter six, verse seventeen. So that's the difficult part about the Bible a lot of times because you're not going to get everything in that paragraph that tells you everything you need to know. You're going to get bits and pieces of it elsewhere, part of the puzzle that that brings it together. Would that be the same as what John saw in Revelation? Not the same, but similar. Because he's seen something he doesn't understand because he's taken to the throne room of heaven, yes. And or, so he's trying to describe what or, he's seen. So what he's seen here, he's seen God arriving in a cloud. What John sees is he's transported to the throne room of God. So it's from a different... Uh, uh, so it's like point of view. How he sees it because what he's seen is from the throne room of God mm-hmm. as opposed to God coming and revealing. So in other words, it's like if I'm talking to you outside of your house as opposed to talking to you inside yeah, your house. Yeah. It's going to be it's gonna be different because you're going to make me coffee and have donuts. And <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... So the wheels, the rulers, what did they ride on back then? Chariots. Chariots. So we've got this chariot. And by the way, uh, the movie, Chariots of Fire. Mm -hmm. Where did they get that? It came from an actual, uh, uh, that title was taken from a, 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 a poem by somebody, I forgot who it was, but they were referencing what we just read. Chariots of fire, then God taking them. Uh, have you ever seen that movie? It's a good movie. There's a lot of God in that movie. Long time ago. There's a lot of you know because 
one of one of the main characters in there, his family, they're evangelists in China. He's an, he's he's an English one of the English guys, there, and he's uh, um, his family is an evangelist, and he was an evangelist, and here he is, you know, going to the twenty nineteen twenty four Olympics, and then somebody asks him, <laughs> he said, in the movie, I'm, I'm gonna do this lousy, but this is a movie. <laughs> they said in the movie they said why are you wasting your time with all of this God's called you to be an evangelist you know and he says well surely God has called me but he also made me fast <laughs> in other words what he's saying is God gave me this gift so I'm honoring God by using it and when I'm done with this I'm going to China and he eventually became an evangelist in China. He was killed during World War II. He didn't leave when when war came. So, uh, each is in this chariot. There's this idea of a chariot that is moving in all directions at all time. All powerful can do anything. There's a unity of God, and it's being led by the Spirit. Right? Okay. Now. Let me read the next little verses here and then we'll kind of close because this kind of closes out the segment but I don't need to explain it too much because we've already got an idea of what this is all about. Verse 22. Now the heads of the living beings were like something like an expanse. The awesome gleam of crystal extended over their heads and under the expanse their wings were stretched out straight one towards the other. Each one had two wings covering their bodies on one side and on the other. I also heard the, the sound of their wings. Now listen to this. The sound of their wings like the sound of abundant waters as they went. Abundant waters or many waters is a metaphor in the Bible for many languages. It's a metaphor. It's, it's used in different places. The sound of many waters, it's, 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 talking, it's, it's a metaphor for, for, for many languages, different people. So I also heard the sound of their wings like the sound of Abundant waters. In other words, the sound of their wings was a representation of all created people, regardless of, of language. Um, as they went, like the voice of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army camp, wherever they stood still and dropped their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse and was over their heads. Whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings. And so now you have this idea of this voice, this commander uh, over this army, this expanse. God is bringing something, right? Verse 26. Now the expanse was over their heads. There was something resembling a throne. Again, something resembling a throne. He's seeing this for the first time. He says it resembles a throne. Uh, Like lapis uh, lazuli. You know what that is? The blue gem. Yeah, very, very, yeah, it's very pretty. Uh, but it's 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 a precious gem. Back in then, you know, in those days, you know, what 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 they had in that area, that's what they're going to be referencing because they they had it. They're not going to be referencing, you know, uh, uh, Indian jewelry because Indian jewelry comes from Southwest. Over here, what's that stuff called? The the blue turquoise. Mm-hmm. You know, because they they don't have it over there. So why would it be in here? Mm-hmm. They didn't have it. They are referencing what they had. 
uh, in appearance, and on that which resembled a throne high up was a figure with the appearance of a man. I wonder who that could be. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upwards something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it from the appearance of his loins and downward I saw something like fire. There was a radiance all around him. Who, baby, do you think this is? Huh? Jesus. Christ. Very possibly. But you see, he wouldn't say that because he does not have revelation of Jesus Christ yet. We look at it, we say, oh, that sounds like Christ, right? Because in the midst of all of this, this person shows up with fire all around him, and God shows up as purifying fire. What does Jesus do? He purifies us from our sins. Okay. I saw something like fire, and there was radiance all around him. And then, close with this one. As the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. Who initiated the rainbow? God. It was a sign of covenant. As the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. And so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. And I heard a voice speaking. Oh, I don't know about you. So he says all that stuff that we thought were kind of, you know, eyes all around, which means you can see everything all around. You're not going to surprise him, you know. Again, it goes into our understanding of God, theology. Sometimes people think, well, God's not going to accept me. God has heard it before. God has seen it before. We didn't come up with new sin. It's, it's all there. It's all ready. We've, all, we've already done it for ages past. So, you know, get over that part. But here, you know, in the midst of all this, God is, 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 we're seeing all this, and if we're not careful, we miss two subtle, actually three subtle things here. In the first verse, this is a vision of God, because then we start talking about all this other stuff, we forget what, what we're looking at, and we're trying to figure out, what is this thing, what does it look like, and I, I don't understand this, and then we miss the appearance Above all of this, in in, the, in this radiant fire of a man, of a person, kind of like where where does a, another man show up in the midst of fire? Um, Daniel, and Daniel in the furnace. Oh yeah. He said, all of a sudden, I saw somebody else. Yeah. Well, who was that? Somebody else. We it's Christ, right? So again, that's why I say in the Old Testament, Jesus is there. You just have to you just have to understand it because it's pointing us and taking us in a direction. And then the last thing that we that we miss is you know, he falls on the ground. It's the Lord. When I saw it, I fell on I fell on my face. All of a sudden, he realizes this is God. This is I'm seeing a vision of God and the presence of God. If someone were to ask me to explain God, I'm limited by what I have read. And what I see in nature. I, I can explain God to you beautifully from nature. The bees do what they do. The birds do what they do. The swallows go to Capistrano when it's time. All that good stuff, right? And uh, 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 I think I said Sunday about those, those turtles that come from Malaysia. Yeah. You know, they, they all do. God directs all that. You know, you, you can see God in all of that. 
but in 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 and then what he what he says about himself in scripture and, and who he is and, and all of that I can explain all that but if God were to show if I was to actually all of a sudden be in the throne of God it's, it's going to be different than this I, I I don't have words it's like you know uh, it's like the colors we kind of talk about the colors in the rainbow physicists will tell us. We can only see something like six or eight percent of the actual visible light in the universe. So there's 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 like ninety two percent light and color that we're not able to pick up. So when you're in God's presence, man, think about all that. You know, colors we haven't even seen yet. And I mean, I, I can't imagine that. I can't. I can't imagine that. So I'm going to end it right there. Because uh, next week, it, it's now he's going to say, now that God's here and he got my attention, because where, where is he? We're, we're, we're going to leave him? <laughs> he's going to be like this for a week. Kissing the ground. <laughs> so, yeah, so he's going to be on the ground, and God's going to be speaking to him. So next week, we're going to find out what God says to him. But any thoughts or questions on this? It's, it's almost like... Um, we study the Bible and we know how the New Testament and especially Revelation, Christ revealed, is revealed. And it's like for him, he went through that vision from not knowing, really seeing something like or someone like to now he's... Different aspects showing up in the midst of what he would recognize because he comes to, he sees all of this and all of a sudden he realizes this is, this is God. Yes. You know, he's writing this after the fact. So he says, this is a vision of God. And then he explains what happened to him to the point that this, I realized this was God and I'm down on my face and then God speaks. Okay. Anything else? Making sense? Yeah, when I first read it, it was like, what a confusing thing. Yeah, so but no. that's, that's, the, that's the hardest part right there. Then later on, when we get to the, the, the valley of the dry bones and God causes, causes them to arise, all he's saying is, you, my people were dead to me because of their sin. I took them off the land and they are like dry bones. With the dry bones, people that have been buried in the desert, but I'm calling them to arise and come back. What he's talking about is the remnant, the nation, the people. He's not talking about actual bones. Mm-hmm. It's a vision in calling them to come back. Because think about it: before we came to revelation of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, before we became saved, we were dry bones. We were dead in our sin, but God calls us what to life, right? Nicodemus, why must man be born again? Right? So, all of that stuff is in the Old Testament. That's why I say, if this is the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, and this is the New Testament, from Matthew to Revelation, the authors of the New Testament are just taking all of this and bringing it to the cross. This is what the New Testament... This is what the Old Testament means now in the light of the fact that Messiah has now come, done the work on the cross, ascended, resurrected, seated at the right hand of God. Anything else? Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you that uh, 
for this time, Lord, and we just ask that you continue to open our, our eyes to see and our ears to hear, Lord, our heart to receive, Lord, as we look back at these passages and look forward in these passages, Lord, that you put this vision here for a reason. You put uh, the judgment here for a reason. You put Ezekiel's message for a reason. Uh, you put the restoration of the people for a reason, Lord. And so, Lord, reveal those reasons to us, Lord, and make them real and true, uh, Lord, so that as we walk forward and share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, Lord, that it becomes part of our the foundation of who we are as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So, Father, as we leave the sanctuary, but not your presence, continue to guide us, strengthen us, encourage us, and heal us, do all the things, Lord, that only you can do. And, Lord, we just commit our lives unto you and give you thanks and praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Church said, Amen. Praise God. See you Sunday.